Welcome to Coffee with Catholic Workers, a podcast made by and for Catholic workers. I'm Theo. And I'm Lydia. We've both been a part of the Catholic Worker for the last decade and are excited to bring you conversations with Catholic workers around the world. Today we have Brian Terrell joining us from the Strangers and Guests Catholic Worker Farm in tiny Malloy, Iowa. Brian discusses what they're growing at the farm, whether it's really worth growing your own beans, and what it was like living with Dorothy Day compared to how she's thought of nowadays. Now, here's Brian. Well, thanks, Brian, for being willing to talk with us. Uh, Brian, so usually we we start off by having people sort of explain a a brief history of, of how they kind of got to the worker and a little bit about where you are at now, what what your worker is like out in Iowa. Okay, yeah, I've it's uh hard to be brief covering uh, a lot of time. Uh, We're coming to the 90th anniversary of the Catholic Worker uh, in a few days, and I've been around for more than half of it uh, in various places. Uh, But I I, uh, lived most of my life until I was 19 years old around Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, Went to a Catholic boys school there uh, and uh, went to uh, college for one year. Um, I wasn't raised particularly Catholic, but as a kid, I started to be interested. I was in a very Catholic milieu, and um, uh, I don't, you know, I I didn't see, I I was excited by reading the Gospels and Lives of the Saints. I didn't see it reflected around me, and I don't, I don't mean to be too critical of of people because they weren't trying to and failing. They just nobody, it really hadn't occurred to anybody that this could be taken seriously and it could actually do those things. And then sort of admire them from afar. Um, so I, I, you know, had a very um, vague idea what the Catholic worker was. And uh, I wanted to drop out of school and do something immediately. I looked at religious orders and other groups who said, uh, finish college. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. Uh, and I really felt like I had something to offer immediately. Uh, That's what Dorothy Day called the arrogance of youth. Um, and uh, I wrote to the Catholic worker and asked and just for some information. And I got a very nice postcard back from Pat Jordan that I still have somewhere. Uh, he just described as much as you can in a postcard what the Catholic worker was and said, if this interests you, come and join. And uh, I said, I think I went to the Catholic worker because they would take me. <laughs> I was <laughs> a 19-year-old kid with, you know, I said, looking back, not much to offer. Uh, but so, yeah, so I, I, I took a bus to, you know, it, it, I sat on it for a little while. It wasn't all that spontaneous. Uh, but I went to uh, Boston, New York. And uh, as always, I think everybody's experience of coming to the Catholic Worker in New York is the people that they talk to uh, were gone and nobody remembers that they're coming. And so everybody's arrival is a surprise. Uh, but I was welcomed very warmly and uh, lived there for the next um, you know, four years. That was 1975. Um, and uh, lived in the worker and around the worker for, for the next four years. And then uh, there was a Catholic worker house then in Davenport, Iowa. Um, that I had visited and uh, they invited me to come and join them. And I had 
in those days, being in New York for four years was a very, very long time. That's that's very that's changed. Uh, so I was ready to, to to go. So I went to went to Davenport. Was uh, there for seven years. Um, uh, Betsy, who I later married, had been at the farm at Tivoli, New York, north of the city, and uh, we were acquainted with each other. But we ended up in Davenport separately, and uh, eventually married. Had a couple kids there, and then in 1986, uh, uh, we, with another family, uh, bought this little acreage, five acres in Malloy, Iowa, uh, seven miles from the Missouri border, very rural, uh, very depleted area, part of Iowa, and. Uh, uh, yeah, have lived here since. So rural, rural Iowa is quite the different scene from your entrance into New York City. Could you maybe talk a little bit about how the Catholic worker ethos or Catholic worker vision and values um, translate it into this rural farming? Yeah, that's that's. Um... A big question now was a bigger one back in the 1980s. I think that the more people understand it or participating in it. Um, it's uh, you know way, way back in the dark history of the Catholic worker that we're looking at from 90 years ago. The idea was uh, clearly of the founders that it was going to be a back to the land movement and uh, that would have a presence in the cities. In fact, it's 19... Uh, 36, Dorothy wrote uh, in the paper, we are going to move into the onto a farm and start a true farming commune. Uh, we believe our words will have more weight. Our weightings have more conviction if we ourselves are engaged in making a better life on the land. And she had to assure people, we're not abandoning the city with this. Um, over the years, these uh, got to be, I think Dorothy really, uh, regarded these as the, in the beginning, as the revolutionary vanguard of the Catholic worker, the place where things are really making a difference, um, rather than the, the, you know, what she considered the danger of being a palliative in the city, of, 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 of taking care of symptoms of, of, of this horrible system, rather than changing it. Um, over the years, though, that, that there wasn't a lot of success, and it got to be seen more as a retreat house, uh, uh, a, a respite from the city. Um, and uh, there wasn't a lot of understanding of this. And I think, I think the big difference is that people are staying longer in the Catholic worker. That's, that's a, a huge demographic thing that, that, that is often overlooked. Until the 1970s or so, you know, the Catholic worker was uh, a place where people, you know, spent some time between high school and college or between college and real world. And more and more people made it their lives. And for, for a little while, for some years, it's easier to see, uh, you know, people are hungry and you feed them. They're, they're homeless and you take them in. It's, it's all very simple. And, but as you stick around longer, you, you look for, um, look for, for, for deeper, you know, deeper responses. Um, it isn't just that people want a nice place to raise their kids and stuff, although that's that certainly is part of it. It is that it's just uh, like taking them in, in our small way to try try to change things, try to to, to um, and it isn't just that that, that there were um, that there were um, fewer farms in 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 those days. Also, 
it was almost unheard of for a Catholic worker house to have a garden. And uh, there was a lot of resistance to it in various places. Um, uh, even in Davenport, where uh, it was a fact that they had a, Davenport always had, did a lot of gardening, you know, back, back in the day. Um, but it was controversial even there because people said, we get so many vegetables out of the dumpsters. We get so many things donated. Why are we planting gardens? Why are we spending all this time that could be spent going through the cabbages and throwing away the, the bad parts and saving the good parts, uh, spending all that time in the, in the, in, in the field. But, but, but um, uh, to, you know, just to, to realize that the way we get our food and the way we, um, uh, yeah, the, the way we get our furniture and the way we get our clothes, uh, you know, that everything, this is all part of the system. And we, and we try, just as a soup line in, in, the, in, the, in the face of millions of homeless and hungry people is, uh, you know, is an incomplete response. Uh, so I think our farming in the same kind of way is, is, is just a stab in toward, toward it. I've been very, I, I think a way that I see the change most is, um, you know, you, you've, you've both been to the Sugar Creek gatherings and the, um, in uh, Eastern Iowa and the, the beautiful hills over the Mississippi. Uh, and that's been going on for, for uh, many, many years. And for a long time, I was frustrated hearing all of my friends from urban houses uh, gushing about the beauty of it. When it is a very, very beautiful place, but to say, oh, isn't it nice we get to be in a place that's a far, far away from the world's problems, leave the world's problems behind and just, Look at this lush, beautiful landscape, and where everything seems to be in balance. And you know, it's just. But really, you know, it's it's not mountaintop removal, but but that land is losing the 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 the, the uh, soil erosion is measured, you know, ton per acre per year. <laughs> um, you know, the chemical intensiveness of it, and and all that all that corn being grown there, it's all for ethanol. No, nobody's going to eat that corn. And you know the, the 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 you know the land is being tortured, and it is in a very very different way. But 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 just as real, it's the same kind of degradation that we're seeing in the neighborhoods and the cities going on, and for the same purposes. And it's not the same as uh, seeing the um, uh, fig trees and olive trees being torn up in 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 the West Bank. Uh, you know, by by Israeli settlers, uh, it's not as intense, but it's 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 just as real, and it's a part of the same thing. So the countryside um, is not a place of respite and escape. Uh, you know, personally, you know, Betsy's very different. She she is just as happy to be here as as can be, and she will go to a city out of a sense of responsibility, but she doesn't like it. For me, if I want to escape, I'll escape in Chicago. I'll escape to New York. I'll escape to, <laughs> to Amsterdam or Berlin or someplace. But when I'm home, I am, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I'm escaping. I think home here on the farm is where I really have to face, you know, my own limitations, 
Uh, I really have to face the world's problems. I really have to be, I'm really eye to eye with, 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 with poverty in a way that's different from what you, what you all in the cities see, but, but, but that's just as real. Uh, you, you can't maintain this idea of, of the countryside being a place of escape and recreation if you are at all attuned to what's going on around you for very long. So kind of taking a step back, I mean, you're, so you're trying to like, obviously like witness to and live differently from like this giant agribusiness system, but like kind of Peter and, and then his influence on Dorothy's vision of like the agronomic university is that it like will address so many problems that they were seeing and and we continue to to see and and it's even like envisions a, a different like way of thinking about work and the means of production and what we consume and stuff and i was just wondering could you could you like give us just like the brief overview of just like really what is was Peter's visions for these agronomic universities. Yeah, well, uh, one one way that he put it that was, uh, I think, kind of tongue in cheek is to uh, uh, provide uh, training to unemployable graduates of Catholic universities. <laughs> um, uh, Peter was not a big fan of of, of academia as as it exists here. Um, but uh, of trying to re you know, trying to relearn. Um, one thing when, when the Catholic workers started in the 1930s, uh, most most Americans and most immigrants to the United States too were a, a generation away from the farm. And it was uh, you know the, 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 a lot of the losses were really immediate. Um, you know today we are, generations away from the farm and even people who grow up grow up on farms in the United States are pretty much um, industrial workers on the land you know planting the soy core be the soybeans and the corn and harvesting it or keeping uh, uh, keeping a million hens and cages in one <laughs> in one place you know the the, 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 the talents the, the skills of of uh, what it takes to 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 live on the land um, uh, are are just much much farther away from us, and it takes a lot of work to 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 to, to learn these things. And I think uh, to be really clear, the the worker has sometimes been confused with uh, some other back to the land. Um, Issues of self-sufficiency, and see, we don't we don't want to be self-sufficient. You know, we want to be living in harmony, not just with the land, but with our neighbors, and ways that we can, you know, knowing that we're not going to do everything to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and keep ourselves warm, but try to make um, right relationships with the people that we're, you know, that you know, close by and around the world. I, I really admire our Amish neighbors who've been for generations and generations have uh, only the last uh, 40 years or so have been in this part of Iowa, but who, um, you know, who've been living without, without electricity, without cars. We have our goats bred at a farm not far from here that has three generations living together and they milk a hundred goats by hand every twice a day. <laughs> um, and we don't do that. We milk one or two goats. 
uh, once or twice a day. Uh, but uh, they're not out to change the world like Peter was. Uh, you know, their, their vision um, is quite different. Their vision is the world out there sucks and we're gonna keep ourselves pure and clean from it. And, uh, you know, the Catholic worker uh, is about, you know, trying to change society and, and, and may be a small part of that. So let's say let's say you change society and that you you have solved all of all of the world's problems. What does that look like? What does this vision? What is this vision like we're pursuing? Well, the way uh, Peter put it is to make a society where it's easier to be good, you know, where people can find um, can find um, right livelihood, you know, can make a living on the land or by craft. I was talking recently to a, to a young man at the University of Colorado in saying that, that uh, you know, even though today uh, we, the world sorely needs um, alternative energy sources and uh, transportation, there's so many things that could be done, but people graduating from college with a degree in, in any kind of the sciences today is more likely to be, you know, uh, working for a, uh, fossil fuel company or for a uh, military industrial complex. Uh, you know, because we've, we've um, anything useful, all the things that we, we, we you know, we've, uh, you know, my ballpoint pen comes from China. And, um, you know, everything that we, that really has any, uh, any kind of, any of the other things that we wear and the things that we eat, um, all come, you know, in in ships and trucks from far away, and to 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 be more of a craft society and a society too that doesn't separate um, art and uh, function, you know, the, the way the way we have, you know, that people who who make chairs would be artists, that people who grow food would be artists, uh, you know, people who sew would be artists. Um, uh, just a much more um, integrated, uh, you, know, you know, kind of life. It's um, it also gets into things like, I, you know, one of the things that we've done here for years is grow grow dried beans, and it's a very time-consuming thing to do. Um, and we've had visitors say, "Well, why are you doing that when you can buy?" buy them in the store for so cheap and you know that's a good question and it kind of convicts us because there are a lot of things we buy at the store because they're so cheap <laughs> you know that we don't do everything ourselves everything we're doing is is i think even after all these years we're more like uh you know looking toward the future rather than 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 actually that you know than living it because of our own our own uh uh weaknesses uh our own inabilities but um, it's like the, 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 there's, there's, when people say there's other things you could be doing, what they mean is there's other people of your class who could be doing, <laughs> there are things you could be doing that people of other classes could be doing. I mean, somebody, somebody's got to grow those beans. And if you're not going to take at least part of responsibility for that, you're putting that off on somebody else. And, you know, face it, it's somebody 
somebody who doesn't have your citizen status, somebody who doesn't have the color, your, the same color of skin, is going to be doing it. I think part of it is, is too for me, um, growing food, you know, for ourselves and to share. Um, it's, you know, it, it is a lot of fun most of the time. Um, but but it's partly like I, I really think when I'm at some kind of conference or gathering. Um, I should do my share of washing dishes, <laughs> even if I forget or need to be reminded. I, I realize that that's a very, very important thing, and that 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 no matter what role I play, I should be mopping the floor sometimes, and and things is like, yeah, we all have to eat, and um, it's you know part of my responsibility for being uh, for living on this earth is to uh, at least grow part of the food that I eat and and grow some food that I can share with other people. Tell us about some of the food you grow there on the farm. Always, oh, oh, we we have these wonderful uh, uh, beans, these red <laughs> string uh, noodle beans uh, that Theo has 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 praised in other venues. Uh, well, I really enjoy raising goats, and we um, uh, right now we're waiting for two to come fresh to have their kids, so we'll have be milking again. Uh, so, and uh, we make uh, lots of kinds of cheese, what kind of uh, uh, mozzarellas and fettas and cheddars. Uh, and that's a, uh, that's a really fun thing to have and to share. Uh, we raise chickens and, you know, for eggs and um, the garden is really, um, yeah, we're planting onions and leeks. The peas are coming up. We'll be plant, putting the potatoes in the ground in the next couple days. Uh, a, a really good, good variety. And on a good year, we'll, we'll, uh, most of the food we eat is, is from, from our little bit of land here. And we, we, we uh, trade with neighbors and give things away. Um, it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're um, Iowa was an interesting place in a lot of ways um, that it is one of the biggest agricultural states, but it's also one of the states that, Im that imports most of its food. You know, we go to the grocery store and our food is from Mexico. It's from the, 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 the uh, Central Valley of California. It's from Ohio. We're growing corn and soybeans. And even... Uh, um, you know, most of our milk now, most of the milk consumed in Iowa is coming from, from Arizona and California, where, where the cows are living in air-conditioned buildings and uh, eating grain that's shipped down from Kansas and Iowa to, 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 to California to feed, our, feed the, the cows to give milk. It's put in refrigerator trucks and sent up back here to Iowa. And all in our twisted economy, um, that's more cost-efficient. And, and, and it's, it's insane. It's insane and it impoverishes everybody. Uh, and even the, uh, in the years since we came here, um, Iowa has remained the, the biggest hog producer you know, in competition with North Carolina. And uh, 35 years ago and more when we first came here, most of those hogs were owned by small farmers and uh, people could still make a living off of it. And, now the same number of hogs are being raised in um, 
by the thousands and thousands so hogs who's you know they they, they go to the, from birth to slaughterhouse their feet never touch the touch the real ground and they never root uh uh root around in the vegetables and they they they, you know, they never eat on processed food and they and they 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 don't see the sun and the people who do that work are no longer people who are uh independent farmers um nobody's going to go into a building with a thousand confined hogs if they have choices you know so it's mostly you know now it's mostly uh, immigrant labor people are being paid way you know obscenely low wages uh and all the money is going into into corporations so we're we're uh trying to be a, a, a little bit of resistance to that. Yeah, we. I mean, we've talked in the past on this show about like the Catholic worker value of decentralization, you know, and and it's everything you're describing has only just gotten worse since Peter's time, since Dorothy's time, and that like consolidated capital is just killing the planet and killing these workers and stuff like that. It's it's wild this system we have. Yeah, and I think one of the things about the Catholic worker that's different from a lot of other groups that really want to help people and want to get rid of poverty is, um, I think the worker has been more interested in getting rid of wealth than about getting rid of poverty. <laughs> it's, you know that people can live on very little. You know, people don't need a lot of wealth. People don't need to have. Uh, a lot of savings and investment, but the reason why people are poor is because other people are are <laughs> are amassing. Uh, reading recently about how the you know in the United States we could give every homeless person uh, a house and still have like three million empty houses, uh, you know that are what people are stockpiling to keep to keep rents up. You know we keep blaming the poor that that that. Of, for what's happening in our cities. And you know, the reason why rents are so extravagant is not because of poor people, it's because of rich people <laughs> you know, who are able to stockpile apartments and houses and, and, and manipulate the markets. If somebody can, uh, uh, right now it's very cheap to, to live here in this part of Iowa, our taxes are very low and, and uh, land prices and houses can be got cheap. We're, we're losing population. Uh, uh, anybody's welcome to come and try to find a place here if you're looking for a place to live cheap. Um, it's the it's it's just the the increased um, disparity. And if some rich people decide they like it here, uh, that's going to be gone as soon as somebody says, uh, "Looks at our beautiful house that's valued at at like uh, twenty thousand dollars." If somebody says, uh, uh, "Well, I would pay two million for that house." Immediately, our taxes would go up, and we'd have to sell. And the person with could pay for, who who you was know, willing to pay two million dollars, would be able to have it if they want, or the house would be empty. <laughs> you know, because for that person who can afford to pay two two million dollars, it might be suit them better financially to, to leave the house empty. So you know, the homelessness, the you know, the issue is not. Um, you know, it's not that we have all these poor people and what are we going to do with them? The issue is we've got these these rich people who keep getting richer. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, you know, more, I think, the, the thing that we have to address. 
So you you do a lot, Brian. You you kind of get around, not just uh, yeah. always on the farm. There. Um, do you want to share a little bit about any of your other sort of projects or focus points um, within the Catholic Worker? Yeah, and I think it's um, uh, you know I, I think it's all of a whole. I, I think most of the time when I, I've been an activist all along, but we have you know two grown children, and they were home. Uh, I wasn't away so much, uh, but these last uh, 20 years and more, I've been gone probably about half the time uh, from the farm. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, presently I'm, I work with the Nevada Desert Experience and just got back from um, helping organize a walk from Las Vegas to the nuclear test site 40 miles away. And I have a trial coming up in, in uh, in July there uh, and uh, for an arrest at the nuclear test site, uh, which was taken away from the Western Shawnee people in 1950 uh, at gunpoint and no compensation uh, given you know, for, for testing nuclear weapons and about a thousand nuclear explosions have been going on, have, have, have happened there. No, no place on earth has been bombed more. Uh, you know, the indigenous people are uh, not just in the United States, but in uh, in the uh, South Sea Islands and in Kazakhstan, the indigenous people are the victims, the first victims of nuclear war, and uh, and that continues. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so, so we're. Uh, I'm also this summer uh, planning on being in Holland and in Germany. The the the, the nuclear weapons at uh, the United States keeps nuclear weapons at bases at uh, on, in five European countries, uh, totally in contradiction to, of international law and the and, and the non-proliferation treaty that all these countries are signers. And really, I think. Um, to say that the, 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 the Russia's war with, with Ukraine is provoked does not mean it's justified. And I would never justify anybody invading anybody else, but it it certainly was provoked and provoked by by US and NATO in uh, uh, you know threatening uh, at this this base in Holland uh, every single day the uh, Dutch Air Force practices putting dummy nuclear bombs on their planes uh, taking off for Russia. And when the, the United States has an Air Force, uh, US Air Force squadron there that maintains 20 nuclear weapons, they're being replaced with the new, more flexible ones, uh, probably even the spring. When the order comes, those real, those missiles are gonna be, bombs are gonna be put on the Dutch planes and, and delivered by the Dutch Air Force. And of course, dropped on Russia. And uh, at present, the the uh, that 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 base is receiving F thirty five fighter bombers from the United States. And uh, the last time I was with Theo was in uh, uh, oh this second before last time <laughs> we were in Madison, Wisconsin, where where those same planes are being are being being deployed. Um, uh, so it all comes together uh, for, for a long time. Uh, for more than 10 years, I worked with Voices of Creative Nonviolence, and uh, uh, over like eight or nine years, I visited Afghanistan once a year, and uh, uh, you know, spent time with with uh, mostly young Afghan activists uh, and trying to support the work the work that they've done. 
So I think it's it's um, uh, again I, I'm, I'm it, it, it's it's a personal quirk for me that I get more rest and I, I I find myself getting more renewed when I'm with people working against nuclear weapons and working for justice with indigenous people and all these things that that, that I do on the farm. I think it's because I uh, I really feel like. Um, planting the garden, uh, shoveling out goat shit. Um, there's a way in which I am um, working for, uh, you know, that that is resisting nuclear weapons. Just as for people in urban houses, working on the soup line can be that. But it's, there's something uh, cathartic about, uh, you know, walking 60 miles you know, uh, uh, digging a hole under a fence, um, <laughs> uh, or you know, in January, fasting and 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 protesting in the streets of Washington D.C. about Guantanamo and all all the implications of that. Uh, that 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 it's um, I, I find more recreation, more recreational value in in that kind of work than I do on the work on the farm. Uh, well, we we have a few. A little bit more time here. <clears throat> I I wanted to circle back around kind of to your beginning of your story because I think you're the uh, first person we've had on this show who actually lived with Dorothy Day uh, in community, and I, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts on what that was like that listeners might find <laughs> interesting, <laughs> or, or like, is there and and how she's viewed historically maybe at this point compared to real life living in a real Catholic worker back in the day. Yeah, well, I've, yeah, I was 19 years old and, and Dorothy, I think 78 when we met. And um, yeah, that, that was a very, very, uh, you know, I'm just really glad at the time that I spent four years that other, that I might've otherwise wasted in college living in New York at the Catholic worker. <laughs> and and that I, I did get to know Dorothy. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I think that the uh, at present and uh, that, that there really is a struggle about who she is, and it's not it's 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 crazy because we're not talking about uh, somebody from the fourth century that we have legendary. <laughs> uh, you know, did this person really exist? This is not Saint Bridget of Ireland, and it's not not. Uh, Agnes of Rome. This is somebody who lived in our century, and somebody who was a journalist who has who wrote piles and piles of stuff that is now so easily accessible. And people will write about Dorothy Day uh, extensively, sometimes without ever quoting her. <laughs> and I think the 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 um, as as often happens with with great people, the the uh, there is a um, I think a very, very false and I think very deceptive picture of her uh, that that is uh, a much more easily digest and a much more um, convivial with with you know with you know with the system that's you know that's not as resistant. Uh, the Dorothy Day, who um, the most important thing for her was that a priest would wear vestments at mass. You know, for example, when that was like something she didn't care about whatsoever. You know, that that had no interest, <laughs> she had no interest in that kind of thing. Uh, but to uh, and 
you know, that she had uh, abandoned her radical friends, uh, that she was, uh, that she never criticized the church. You know, we get this, and I, I think we see that in, you know, reflected now in Catholic worker houses that, that um, you know, some even that take the name Dorothy Day, but if you look at their, their websites and their newsletters and things, you wouldn't see that there's anything about uh, concern about world poverty, uh, you know, maybe, you know, support our, we, we have a soup line, you know, support us. Um, you know, we say our prayers and we, we uh, feed the hungry and, uh, uh, but what's lost is, is, you know, a true revolutionary who really wanted to, 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 to change things. You really wanted to, to make the world where it's easier to be good, which, which means tremendous um, social upheaval to do that is, um, and I think that's, and, and people, uh, houses and communities that have, that seem to have completely given in to what's been called, you know, the nonprofit industrial complex, um, uh, which you really, it's very, very difficult to maintain, uh, you know, when you're trying to maintain uh, donation flow. Um, they, and this, this, you know, this started some years ago. I remember when we were in, in Davenport, the, rock, the biggest employer in the area was the Rock Island Arsenal run by the U.S. Army that at the time was the one of the biggest weapons factories in the world and the biggest uh, employer in our area. And, uh, uh, you know, the diocese had a letter that, that they sent out saying, we don't give them any money, don't worry. <laughs> uh, and, but there was a Catholic worker house in Peoria, 70 miles away that wrote to us asking us to stop protesting the name of the Catholic worker because it was cutting into their donations. And, uh, you know, I think we see a whole lot more of that. I see, I, it breaks my heart to see Catholic worker newsletters that come that that uh, don't address anything like police violence or um, uh, the threat of nuclear war or even climate change and stuff. You get a nice reports about uh, how they're helping people in their neighborhood and everything, which is all very good, but, but, but it's... Uh, uh, you know, I think the, the the revolutionary nature has has been lost, and many people are, are simply simply unaware of it. And unfortunately, I think there are people and institutions for whom this is uh, 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 this is very deliberate, and they're working very hard at this to uh, uh, you know, and in, in, in the face of all the documented stuff that we have about Dorothy and all the things that she said. Um, all the things that she did, uh, see so many articles and even whole books written about her that don't reference any of that, but just is all, you know, the, the, just retelling the story of this, of this fabrication that, 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 uh, uh, you know, that certain, uh, bishops and other religious authorities and academics have, have, have created and perpetuated. So it's, it's not something I've chosen. It's not something I like, uh, making these arguments all the time, but it, it just, uh, it, it, it wrangles me. And maybe the, the best thing to do, I think sometimes would be just to drop it. But, but uh, when I see people saying things that are um, absolutely untrue, um, uh, you know, Dorothy Day was a woman who could write, you know, in the 1970s say, you know, what she wrote about um, 
Angela Davis, the, you know, the great communist black activist. It's practically a love poem. <laughs> You know how much she admires this, this, this at that time. You know, young firebrand uh, atheist activist who who you know defied authority and whose picture was with with her, her fist in the air uh, and say about her that that this is uh, you know write about her and quote what the Bible says about, about Mary, the mother of Jesus saying, blessed are you among women and all generations will call you blessed. Dorothy Day, St. <laughs> Dorothy Day writing, saying that about, uh, you know, about a black activist who at the time was at, was on the, 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 the uh, FBI most wanted list for, <laughs> uh, it, 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 that does not, that, that doesn't fit with, with the image that, that we're often given of her, but, but it's who she was. It is interesting to sort of think about the ways in which um, sometimes only parts of her message are sort of preserved or revered or maybe sanitized. Um, and thinking about like what that means for the larger movement, because I feel like I sometimes see in the same way this piece of reverence for Dorothy in that that prevents sometimes a larger view of like the movement being more than just Dorothy. And I think that also is this great danger is if we're both, if we're going to only allow the movement to be Dorothy, and then if we're only going to take these sanitized pieces of her, you know, then, then the movement gets constrained to like this very nonprofit, we're going to do our individual work, but not disrupt things, um, yeah. maintenance of the status quo. That, that's very true, and I, I feel reluctant sometimes to keep quoting Dorothy as though it were the Dorothy Day movement. And also, you know, people could disagree with Dorothy when she was alive. <laughs> There's less of that now, you know. But 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 what, one thing I love is is that she was never a um, unlike the leaders of a lot of other movements. You know, she 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 hated the personality cult, and she never played along with that. And um, and uh yeah she she was you know um very much criticized within the movement i i think a story i i often tell is that when i first met dorothy it was the day after i arrived in new york um by bus and she was very gracious and very curious about me and 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 it it really made me feel good this person was uh, paying so much attention to me and i was just a kid um if I said I came to follow in your footsteps, I would have been on a bus home <laughs> the next day. I, that would not have been tolerated. Um, and today, people say, "Well, the Catholic worker's not following in, Dor in, in, in Dorothy's footsteps." It's like, well, of course, <laughs> that's not our job. <laughs> and and. Uh, yeah, it was you know there, there's 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 not one model. Um, this this is in in terms of of uh, I just like to think about it more in terms of of the farming, but you know the uh, oh in like 1945 or so, Dorothy said um, that our houses of hospitality are not what Peter Morn had in mind, and we look to the future. 
you know, um, for the true centers of Catholic action and of returning to the land and things. And so I think she recognized, uh, uh, and she always said to people who looked at the, the New York Catholic worker, you know, this is not a model. And she said, soup lines are a disgrace. Uh, what we need to get down to is just families. You know, so, so she never held up herself or or the New York Catholic worker as a model that couldn't, you know, that that like everybody get in line with this. Um, yeah, it's it's um, and one thing that 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 <clears throat> that I think about this this more traditional view of Dorothy's Catholicism is um, uh, I'm a Catholic, and I really value I. I think I can still be a Catholic only because of people like Dorothy Day. And I do agree that there is a crisis in the Catholic worker identity uh, at this time, but I think it's the opposite of what most people who say that think it is. <laughs> uh, you, know, I, you know, I think, for example, I was, you know, you know nobody at the New York Catholic worker, uh, we had mass a couple times a week and nobody was bothered that, uh, that uh, people who weren't Catholic received communion, for example, which has gotten to be a big issue these days. Um, uh, yeah, there were divorced and remarried people. There were gay people. There were there were, you know, um, a lot of the people who insist on, you know, following in Dorothy's footsteps, especially as far as Catholicism goes. Um, are espousing a kind of Catholicism that I think is very foreign to the Catholic worker, and I think think very uh, damaging to it. Because if people look at at Dorothy's Catholicism and they see, here's an old lady who always wore a mantilla on her head and rattled her rosary beads and always obeyed the bishops and, uh, you know, just lived this devotional Catholic life. It's like, well, that doesn't say that doesn't offer anything really that's very, very helpful. And so I know I talk to a lot of Catholic, young Catholic workers who say, I really, you know, like Dorothy Day and the Catholic worker, but this Catholic thing, I don't, I don't get it all. And I think it's because they're, they're not judging, you know, they don't know who Dorothy really was and what her faith really was. They, they know what people are saying, of, saying about it. You know, this good, obedient person who didn't say, um, you know, one thing that, you know, that she said repeatedly is, uh, you know, I love the church for Christ made visible, not for itself, so often a scandal to me. And one must live a life of permanent dissatisfaction from the church, with the church. And I think that's the only way to really love it. You know, real love that's different from uh, some kind of unhealthy attachment disorder. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter who you say you love or what you say you love. If you love your country, love your friend, love your child, love your parents, love your spouse. Um, if you do that with blindness about who that person or that institution really is, uh, you know, it isn't really love. Like a lot of the shit that, that goes down with patriotism in this, in this country isn't really love of country. If you really love this country, you're going to, you're not going to be put off by, by uh, remembering that the story of Rosa Parks is a part of this, <laughs> part of this country. You're not going to want to get that 
excise that. The people in Florida who want to take those things out of the school books, they don't love this country. They, you know, they don't at all. And the same thing with the church. If, if you love the church and you're not going to look at the, at the systematic racism, the systematic uh, misogyny, uh, abuse of children, if you are going to overlook that, you can't, you really can't call that love. And Dorothy put it in the imperative saying, you must live this way. You must live in permanent dissatisfaction. It, it, it's, 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 uh, it's the only thing that's real. Uh, and so I can be a Catholic uh, and be dissatisfied um, and uh, know that that's the way it, it ought to be. Uh, but but we, we get an image, when, when, when people are given an image of Dorothy, the, the obedient, docile, daughter of the church, um, a whole lot is lost. Well, we've gone what is kind of a normal amount of time for us. Is there any other thoughts you want to get out there about the Catholic worker or about Dorothy or anything like that? Uh, well, one thing is uh, that I should have done earlier. Betsy has uh, reminded me that I should put a recruiting plea in for <laughs> strangers and guests. And I understand why a lot of why we have so many people coming to visit. Uh, it was wonderful having you with us uh, a couple times, Theo. And people have good experiences, but this is I, I really think the, the 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 reason why we're you know most of our life here we've had other people living with us for months and years at a time is just as uh, our kids don't live here and just as our the population, we went down from like 5,000 to 4,000 people in our county between the last two censuses. If this is an area that people are leaving and it's an old population, uh, you could go and stay at the uh, Catholic Worker Farm in Ames and you could ride your bike to a cafe or <laughs> to a concert and, and you're, not gonna, you're not going to do that here. This is very uh, depopulated, a uh, very, very, very poor kind of place. So I can really understand it, uh, but uh, it is, um, uh, you know, it is a, a very, very beautiful place, and the work is good, and uh, and uh, we really uh, are uh, much happier when we're sharing it with other people. So hope people will come and visit, and, and maybe come and stay for a while. Wonderful. Um, and Brian, if somebody was interested in Strangers and Guests, how would they get in contact with you? Oh, um, uh, I think um, we're in the, the catholicworker.org uh, list of people. We don't have our own website or anything. Uh, you get in touch with us with, with our email and telephone. Uh, you know, we, we, we publish a newsletter uh, that, that uh, isn't online. Uh, but we can send it to you in PDF or in in uh, <laughs> on paper. Um, uh, yeah, I think if you want to find us, we won't be too hard to find. Great. Well, thanks so much, Brian, for taking the time to talk with us. We we really appreciate this, Theo, mm -hmm. and I always enjoy just the opportunities that that we both get to have to hear mm -hmm. people's stories and to just talk about all these ideas and values that everyone is trying to live out in, in our own unique ways. Mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. And I, I enjoy listening to your podcast, even if you don't get around to it yourself. So. <laughs>
Well, thanks again to Brian for being willing to be our guest on on our show today. We always appreciate people being willing to take the time out of their busy schedules to share a bit about their lives and their experiences um, and the work that's happening uh, wherever they are now. Um, it's really fun to hear about how different people are inspired and energized by different things and the various callings that people have thinking about how Brian is both called to uh, be in Malloy, Iowa, but also feels this this energy from being in the city. Yeah, and it, it's also really fun. I think he mentioned this, but we just know them that like Brian and Betsy are married. Betsy's a real love in the farm kind of gal. Brian, not so much, but, you know, they make it work in their Catholic worker lives together. Yeah, I think there's a piece of one of the things that he mentioned that I found really interesting was this idea that in in some ways, like houses of hospitality have kind of failed, like they haven't necessarily moved the way that Dorothy had had kind of wanted them to. And this piece of, OK, what in some way the farm piece, this piece of just living rather than this piece of, hmm, I don't know, in some ways, crisis work. It's almost like the the farm is able to become this this better microcosm of how the world should be, um, rather than than ideally how the world should be, is that we, we wouldn't have a need for these houses of hospitality in the city. Yeah, those Catholic worker farmers love to throw out uh, Dorothy considered the city house is a failure or whatever the, the quote is. Uh, I, I feel like they're just taking an extra little jab at a city Catholic workers. <laughs> um, it, it was yeah. fun. There was one time I took a bunch of uh, Midwest primarily, um, many of them workers who had lived on the farm, and we went to uh, New York City to go visit Mary House. And so we're getting into the city, everyone from Emmaus house was getting more excited of like, oh, you know, and you could see everybody else getting like more tense of like, oh, no, the city. It was an interesting contrast. Yeah, that is funny. It, it reminds me, too, of what Brian was talking about, though, of, of uh, the country, you know, is not just like some idyllic respite place, even though even if you happen to be passing through at a time of year where there's lots of plants or whatever, but, but that it is like really the site of its own, like violence in, in its own way, violence against the land and, you know, against the animals he was talking about that are, we grow for food and the workers who uh, have either lost livelihoods or forced into like bad conditions. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting piece of just, yeah, the, the farm is not idyllic. The city's not idyllic either, but I guess, you know, it depends on if you're a Catholic worker farmer type or a Catholic worker city type. There's a Catholic worker sure. for all of us. We haven't really interviewed a suburban Catholic worker yet. Um, I don't know if we can find one of those. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There must be a, a suburb Catholic worker. I mean, there's there's an Orange County Catholic worker. That's that's kind of like the suburbs of Los Angeles, but it's such like a megaopolis. I don't know if it really counts. You know, 
it, I feel like every other episode I, I mention it, but it's just always my favorite part to hear about how people come to the Catholic worker. I was thinking about Brian's like, the Catholic worker was kind of just the first person who said yes when I was looking at for something completely different in my life, you know, and he mentioned I reached out to like religious orders and different things like that. And it was just the Catholic workers were the only ones who wrote me back. And uh, who knows in this alternate time, in an alternate universe, an alternate timeline, maybe Brian Terrell isn't uh, a Catholic worker of 50 years. Maybe he's uh, part of some religious order, but we were lucky enough to uh, have somebody write him back at the right time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things I love about the Catholic worker is like the ability to say yes, um, both to people who are interested in volunteering or just like enacting the works of mercy. Um, even if there's no room in in the specific house, the, the answer is still like, yes. So like, no, you can't live here. But like, yes, you can still do this, um, this work, this movement. Uh, but then also for guests of that oftentimes very low barrier of not having all of the red tape of organizations or nonprofits or governmental programs um, when there's needs that arise, but being able to be flexible and be like, yeah, this is what this is what God calls us to. So so we'll do it. Yeah, I, I just love all that flexibility. Love it all about the the Catholic worker, and it, and it goes back to just like the way you do the work too. You know, whether it's the city or the farm or what it looks like. If you're in your city, is it is it showers? Is it a house? Is it something to eat? Is it growing food in the city? You know, there's all all these wonderful ways to be doing it. One of my favorite lines. Uh, from Brian's interview was just how uh, glad he was to spend four years with Dorothy Day instead of in college. I couldn't help but look your way, Professor uh, Lydia, uh, during that I one. I know, it's true, yeah. Should tell all the students to quit now while they're ahead. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting, this balance between college and not, because there it does definitely limit people at times, especially people who, who end up with a significant amount of debt. Um, I also think that it's sometimes a little bit uh, overblown of how many people go to college. There's still only about 33 to 36, I believe, percent of people get like a bachelor's degree. It, it is trending upward, um, but it's nowhere close to the majority. Um, and so there, there is this piece where college is becoming more prevalent and there definitely are people going to college who probably shouldn't <laughs> like they're, they're not, there's no reason for them to, and it's just kind of making money for schools. Um, yeah, but I, I am curious because there has been a bit of a reaction of people taking a gap year or not going to school quite as much. And so I'm kind of curious if that numbers will kind of just level out for a bit um, and not continue this upward trend. We'll see. There's a lot of money to be made in uh, the college world, which makes me sometimes think it, it might not be going anywhere. But then again, maybe there's a lot of there's in, a lot of schools going broke. 
Yeah, and there's a lot, a lot of, of people who are in. more broke than they used to be, too. Yeah. Do you think the uh, general Catholic worker population is more degreed than the average U.S. population? I don't know. I haven't exactly polled many Catholic workers about their degrees. Um, I, I oftentimes get the impression that many people have gotten some college, but I, I don't know if people have always graduated um, or gone for a period and then stopped. It, it would be uh, interesting to do the survey. Next Sugar Creek, we'll hand, hand that one out and see what the yeah. responses are. Yeah, I I would guess that there's probably a demographic divide with more younger people with degrees than older people. That's just my hunch, but I don't I don't actually know that to be true for sure. Um, it is interesting though if we think about the Catholic worker as a movement and wanting it to be sustainable long term. Um, I definitely would not have gotten involved with it as a movement if I could not have continued to work um, full time as a social worker, because um, that's like what I felt part of my calling was. Um, and so there is a, a piece of thinking about if it's a movement that like what kind of movement is it? Is it a prophetic movement that's meant to be like this handful of people that are sort of like this? Um, I don't know, unreachable or inspirational aspiration that we know we'll never achieve and most of the population can't achieve? Um, or is it something that is meant to work for everyone? In which case, I mean, there are some professions that, you know, kind of need a degree, like doctoring or engineering or the like. <laughs> Um, and so then, like, okay, how do how do those people fit into the movement? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Dorothy and Peter uh, had a plan for that. Yeah, well, that's why we need to keep doing the uh, clarification of thought. I mean, Peter, uh, he was not anti-scholar, you know, he just wanted to make sure that the scholars were workers as well and the workers got to be scholars um it, it wasn't anti-intellectual you know and he himself was i though i don't believe he ever had a degree like you know very well read and stuff dorothy dropped out but you know they read philosophers and stuff like that they were nerds it's it's just getting those two pieces together the scholar and the worker i mean brian is himself like a a kind of organic scholar of sorts though he only has a year of college you know yeah yeah for sure yeah and so then what what does it look like to have uh i suppose like a real education or or an education that has value um both in like this practical sense of being able to get things done in the world um but also in that philosophical sense of being able to think deeply about things. Yeah, need to know uh, where we are and how we got here and where we need to be going, as Peter would have us do.
Well, that wraps up another episode of Coffee with Catholic Workers. We are going to be taking a break over the summer. Theo is traveling quite a bit. Um, I'm taking uh, some time to go backpacking and camping for a few weeks. Uh, So we will not be doing any episodes during the summer. Uh, Definitely check back though this fall for more Coffee with Catholic Workers. Um, If you want to reach out to us in the meantime with any comments, suggestions, clarification, or thought, uh, you can email us at coffeewithcatholicworkers at gmail.com. We want to thank Chris from the Bloomington Catholic Worker for help editing, David Hayes for our music, and Becky McIntyre for our graphics. Thanks for joining us again for some clarification of thought. We hope today's conversation and discussion has been enlightening and maybe even you're encouraged to go out and help build a world where it's easier to be good.